Hello, and welcome to another episode of Five Things, a web series dedicated to answering the five burning tech questions that you have about technologies and workflows in the media creation space, plus tech stuff I dig and how it's used. I'm your host, Michael Kamis, and today we're tackling one of my favorite topics, transcoding in post. So when does post actually begin? Well, since we've moved from celluloid to digital, the answer to this question has quickly moved to be to production. In fact, over the past 20 years, a new position has emerged, the DIT, or Digital Imaging Technician, as a direct response for the need to coordinate between digital acquisition on set and subsequent post-production. In fact, the DIT is such an instrumental part of this process that the DIT is often the liaison that connects production and post together. Now, this can vary depending on the size of your production, but the DIT will not only wrangle the metadata and media from the shoot, plus organize it for post, but they may also have the added responsibility of syncing second system audio to the camera masters. This may also include adding watermarks to versions for security reasons during the dailies process, or even putting a LUT on the camera footage. Lastly, the DIT may also create edit-ready versions, either high or low res, depending on your workflow. A very common tool is Blackmagic Resolve, but other tools like Edit Ready, Cortex Dailies, or even an NLE are being used as well. Now, having a DIT do all of this isn't a hard and fast rule, as often assistant editors will need to create these after the raw location media gets delivered to post. What will your production do? Well, often this comes down to budget. Lower budget? This usually means that the assistants in post are doing a majority of this work, rather than the folks on set. As for the creation of edit-ready media, this speaks to the workflow your project will utilize. Are you creating low-res offline versions for editorial and then reconforming to the camera originals during your online? Or are you creating a high-res version that will be your mezzanine file that you'll work with throughout the creative process? I go into this more here. But in the end, it comes down to the fact edit versions need to be created so you can get to work on your project. Okay, now on to actually creating the edit-worthy media. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! This can be challenging for several reasons. You need to create media that is recognized by and optimized for the editorial platforms you're cutting on. For Avid Media Composer, this is OP Atom MXF Wrapped Media. This media is commonly DNxHD, DNxHR, and ProRes. What these have in common is that they're non-long GOP formats, which makes them easier for Avid to decode in real time. The go-to has always been the 20-year-old offline formats of 15, 14, and 10 to 1. These formats are very small in size. They're easy for a computer to chomp through, but they look like garbage. But if it means not spending money for larger storage or new computers, it's tolerated. Recently, productions have been moving to the 800K and 2 megabit Avid H.264 variants so they can keep larger frame sizes. You can create this media through the import function inside Avid, or using dynamic media folders, or even using consolidate and transcode within Media Composer itself. Adobe Premiere is a bit more forgiving in terms of formats. Premiere, like Avid, will work best with non-long GOP formats, like DNxHD, DNxHR, and ProRes, but it also introduces Cineform, which is a fantastic codec. 
Premiere Pro can also utilize media wrapped in a QuickTime MLV wrapper, as well as MXF wrappers, both the OP Atom and OP1A flavors. Premiere also has the newer proxy workflow to auto-generate low-res media when imported into your Premiere project using Adobe Media Encoder. Apple Final Cut Pro 10, for obvious reasons, is going to work best with Apple ProRes files, but will also play just about anything in an Apple QuickTime MLV wrapper. Final Cut Pro 10 will also prompt you to create proxies when you import media to aid in the offline online workflow process. So just sit back and wait or let Final Cut Pro create the proxies in the background. So how do we create this media for your NLE du jour? Well, using your NLE you plan on creating with is the obvious choice. What better tool to use than the one you're editing with? But the solution does have some problems. First, your edit system is tied up. In multi-editor environments, this can be a logistical nightmare when you're short on systems and you're short on time. Second, NLEs are not meant to be transcoders. Can they? Well, sure, but that's not where they excel. Due to this, they may be pretty slow at transcoding to create your edit media, and they routinely don't have as many options as a full-featured transcoder. This is where dedicated transcoders come into play. However, the usual suspects are fairly limited. Adobe Media Encoder, Apple's Compressor, Sorensen Squeeze, and Edit Ready are common tools in an editor's toolkit, but they're only really good at transcoding one standalone file into another. Unfortunately, these tools are usually pretty poor at understanding camera card hierarchies. What? Camera card hierarchies. Ever looked at the card structure of the media you shot? Yeah. Often there will be folders, XML files, thumbnails, and other ancillary data files. Now this is where your NLE is actually better than your third-party transcoders. Often NLEs understand this camera card structure and can pull all of the appropriate metadata and media out during a conversion. If you're creating media for Avid, this becomes even more difficult because the formats Avid works with best, OP Atom MXF wrapped media, isn't commonly supported. And if we need to create ProRes, you better hope you're using a Mac or have some special way of creating it on a PC. Now, I don't know about you, but I want the most flexibility with the media I shot, and I don't want to risk losing metadata because my transcoder doesn't understand it. This is where more enterprise tools come into play, like Content Agent by Route 6, whose card agent application allows for reading camera card hierarchies, creating subclips, handling of spanned cards and media, renaming, and yes, transcoding to any flavor that you need for editorial. You can also map metadata from the card to various metadata fields inside your NLE. Telstream's Vantage solution also has Camera Ingest, which also understands several camera card hierarchies and can transcode to just about any format you could ever want. These solutions are also much more facility-based tools, as they can handle transcoding later in post through intelligent media analysis and automation. They really become the center of your media creation tasks, as opposed to just handling ingest from production. Creative editorial is not an island. Interaction with other departments needs to not only exist, but be as smooth as possible. Review and approve is a common way to solicit feedback from other production folks. Review and approve can take on many different forms. For some, this is still a DVD, which may or may not have a watermark or a timecode window burn. It can also take the form of a web-based interface, 
where a viewer can add annotations at certain times and approve or reject cuts. Common tools include Acomi, Frame.io, Collaborate, Whipster, and several others. You have a bit of liberty here with quality. Most production people understand that for the sake of expediency, a lower quality file can be used in this type of usage. Veterans are also used to the aforementioned low-res proxies used for offline editorial. Also, many viewers are watching on mobile devices with a slower connection, so a lower bitrate H.264 is often acceptable. Some third-party review and approve sites will create media for mobile devices for you and then play back based on the viewer's available bandwidth, much like YouTube. But some others need to generate a file in the format that they want. As always, it's best to check with the end location for their list of requirements. We're going to take the cops up on those demands they want. We got a killer list going. Yeah, check it out. We ask for airplay and whatever else we want. Then we demand a whole bunch of weird stuff. This way we complete insanity later. The rub here is that this media file needs to come from your NLE. Why? Well, virtually all transcoders don't understand your Avid, Premiere, or Final Cut 10 project files, so you have to use the NLE. The notable exception is Adobe, whose Adobe Media Encoder understands a Premiere timeline. Just make sure you're using the same machine, or another station that has the exact same plugins, fonts, and of course, every bit of the same media. Post-audio workflows are pretty baked in. For years, it was legacy OMF, or the much more robust AAF format that was generated from your NLE, along with embedded audio and handles. Your video would then be a single video track with a specially placed timecode window burn. After all, you don't want your timecode window burn to block shoulders or feet, both of which are needed to determine little things like timing for footsteps. Often, you'll want to add additional things, like watermarks, a two-pop and a tail-pop to verify sync, along with the editor's audio mix for reference. The video format differs from mix facility to mix facility, but most accept ProRes or DNX formats. These usually top out at HD, as most audio systems can't handle 4K playback and all of the horsepower needed for audio sync. For long-form projects, or projects where editing and post-audio are going on simultaneously, exports may be broken up into sections or reels for ease of manipulation. VFX can vary as well. Normally, VFX wants the highest quality version that you can generate. Normally, this requires you to go back to the camera originals and generate image sequences often DPX or OpenEXR in nature, so the VFX artist can work with each frame individually. They'll also usually request a ProRes or DNX file as reference, along with timecode window burns and reference metadata so you can match back to the timeline or source media. They may even request an AAF or XML of your NLE timeline. On lower budget projects, a high-res ProRes or DNX HD or DNX HR file may be acceptable. As always, ask the VFX house for their deliverables doc. Don't guess. Ken, you're telling me what you need. I'm telling you what we have to work with at this point. I'm not making this stuff up. For color, most colors prefer to work with the camera originals, which means either they or you need to relink back to the original camera files. This can be a difficult process, especially if your metadata didn't make the translation between the production media and the edit-ready media you created because you used an ill-equipped transcoder. Other colorists may prefer, 
and when I say prefer, I mean tolerate, a flattened high-res export from your timeline after relinking back to the camera originals. This export could be a high bitrate ProRes, DNxHD, DNxHR, or a Cineform format. Some may even request an image sequence, much like the VFX house, along with any reference DNx or ProRes cuts and an AAF or XML of your NLE sequence. Distribution is a very tricky thing. New platforms are emerging and current distribution outlets are evolving their spec. Thus, you can't guess at what they want. You need to request their deliverable doc, and I assure you that they have one. Let me repeat, wherever you're going, they have a deliverable doc. Ask for it, now. Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! For your final export, again, high bitrate ProRes and DNxHD are common formats. Now this is your master mezzanine file. You now have one high-res file from which to generate all subsequent deliverable files. No need to go back into the NLE project file unless you need a picture change. This is also where common transcoders can fall short. Generating a DNx or ProRes is relatively easy, but generating a DCP for a theater or an IMF package for Netflix, those will require some non-common tools and someone who knows how to drive them. Often, you'll also need to pass QC. QC just isn't about visual quality and audio levels. Often, QC is checking things like closed captioning, as well as mapping of certain audio channels and placement of metadata within the final deliverable file. This is also often handled by your transcoder. These unseen bits can cause you to fail QC, which can be an expensive and time-consuming process. This is where the tools I mentioned earlier, Root6's Content Agent and Telstream Vantage also shine. They have the granular control over the metadata, codecs, and wrappers, so you can ensure that your end product not only looks good, but also meets the QC standards for your end outlet specifications. Let's face it, money is always a factor, but don't forget to look at your time. Time is money. And while transcoding using your NLE is free because you own the software and hardware, how many hours are you losing due to prepping for post? How many hours do you lose generating various versions for third parties? How much time do you lose re-encoding because the quality or format wasn't quite right? Hell, how much time do you spend just waiting? That time adds up and your time is worth money. A basic post-truth is that you can't increase the visual quality of your footage simply by transcoding. Transcoding your compressed camera footage into a better codec won't make it look any better. It can only make it easier for your computer to handle. Check out a recent episode to see the finer details of this often confusing transcoding post-production myth. Uncompressed, camera originals, and RAW are all different things. Try not to confuse them. Uncompressed anything in today's day and age is virtually never used because it's overkill for 99% of the video work out there, and the storage requirements and throughput needed are crazy. Plus, transcoding to an uncompressed format when you shot in a compressed format is like the last tip I had. You can't add quality that wasn't there to begin with. Camera originals are pretty much exactly what they sound like, and RAW is a codec that the camera will record into, and is different from camera manufacturer to camera manufacturer. 
Have more transcoding and post questions other than just these five questions? Ask me in the comments section. Also, please subscribe and share this tech goodness with the rest of your techie friends. They'll appreciate it, trust me. Check out the rest of this series and all of the other great learning content at moviola.com. Until the next episode, learn more, do more. Thanks for watching.